Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I want to talk about something that's happening on Sunday. NPR national political correspondent Don Gagne is going to join Andalisi at the Detroit Historical Museum for an essential conversation. You're going to hear stories from presidential campaigns, what it was like to be in the White House on 9-11, and memories of starting out right here at WDET as a reporter. I'm really looking forward to uh, this event as well. Uh, If you are interested, you can find tickets and information at WDET.org slash events. Okay, up first today, it is opening night for the Detroit Public Theater's 2019-2020 season as they kick things off with a play called Paradise Blue by Dominique Mariso. It's the third play in the MacArthur Genius Award-winning playwrights Detroit Cycle. Her others include Detroit 67 and Skeleton Crew. The play is set in Detroit's Black Bottom neighborhood as it's being gentrified in 1949. And the protagonist is a brilliant jazz musician who's torn between his roots in Black Bottom and an uncertain future. While the play is set 70 years in the past, the themes are still really timely in a city that's dealing with all of the conflict that comes with development and change and transition. Paradise Blue playwright Dominique Mariso joins us now on Detroit Today. Welcome back to the studio. Thank you. And welcome back home. Yes, thank you. It's been a good week in some change home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so tell us about uh, Paradise Blue, this third in your Detroit cycle. Uh, yes, yeah, so Paradise Blue is actually, uh, it's the third being produced here in um, in Detroit. In Detroit. But it's actually the first chronologically uh, in my cycle in terms of the era. Uh-huh. And um, and I wrote it, you know, when I wrote Detroit 67 years ago. Like oh, you did? Okay. In Okay. Um, and so it's about nine years old now for me <laughs> as a play. Uh, but I'm always shocked at how relevant it is. It was produced last year in New York. It premiered in Chicago, actually, um, at Timeline Theater in Chicago. And... I've how much this particular play speaks to where Detroit is right now. Um, I think it's maybe in some ways the most relevant. Huh. I mean, that's really interesting that you wrote it that long ago mm-hmm. and the time modern time has kind of caught up to the past it in that has. way. Right. Yeah. You know, in the worst and awfulest and most scary ways, <laughs> modern times, I mean, the past has come back. That's, you know, <laughs> the things we've been trying to bury keep keep resurfacing I think until yeah. you know until we figure it out but uh so Paradise Blue is 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 a little different than the other two plays in the cycle in terms of just musically I mean it's a very I call it the jazz and liquor <laughs> play um and it's very uh it's it has a very um noir quality to it you know like smoky and you know it's kind of it's the sexiest play I think I have it's maybe the sexiest play I've written um and and it, you know but it also deals with some subject matter that I think is a lot more complicated um and to socially to talk about which is in not just gentrification and the urban renewal and and the removal of black folks from um communities that they're sort of building and mm-hmm. and and be, being the foundation of but it is also you know looking at gender violence and that's the thing i think is is complicated about the story mm. um and it's also looking at there's a touch of the spiritual world in this play, which is is more. Um, it's a little more obscure. People that don't 
you know, uh, people that don't understand that, I think find this a little more aloof than maybe some of my other work. But I'm, I love it, and I, it was a it, it really kind of jazzed um, <laughs> the community last year that I shared it with in New York. It definitely jazzed the heck out of Chicago, and so I'm really happy for it to be here in Detroit. Yeah. So, so I'm curious if you were you're writing this in in 2010, uh, and you're obviously you're thinking of the the sort of instant material for the play, which is the destruction of Black Bottom Absolutely. or the changing of of Black Bottom. Uh, but you you wouldn't really have had reason to think about the changes here in Detroit while you were writing it. And and so I wonder if you feel 10 years later, or almost 10 years later, um, as though uh, you might want to change things. Or, or would, would, would there be things that you would go back and add in or take out based on what's happened since you wrote it. Oh, that's really great. Uh, so I did last year. Uh-huh. Um, there used to be, so this is also the most mysterious play that I have. You know, it's a very, it's like a Mrs. Sexy Jazz and Lickery mystery, <laughs> you know, that is set in Black Bottom and that has the political story of, you know, gentrification uh-huh. attached to uh-huh. it. Um, but it is, the, the mystery used to end differently. I'll just say that. In the last year, I, uh, the time felt different. And I, I looked at the play, you know, and I thought, um, this is the wrong ending. And especially for the conversation that we're having right now, it, you'll see as the story unfolds that there needed to be um, a stronger sense of women empowerment than I think I had seen early mm. when I wrote it, you huh. know. And I, it, I mean, it was always a very women empowering story as much as it was a male affirming story and l- looking at all these different ways in which communities accept you know, a certain level of violence, uh, internal violence, or, or ways that they try to protect each other from internal violence, right? But I thought last year I just felt like, mm the woman needs to be a lot more empowered at the end of the story, and yeah. I, there's something's going to need to happen in, in my in my ending to help that. Wow, wow. Uh, talk about the character Blue uh, and what that character means or represents in this play. You know, so Blue is really inspired for me uh, by Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk, you know, um, these brilliant, um, legendary genius jazz musicians who also, uh, I think, had a great deal of internal torture, you know, or in Thelonious Monk's case, he was dealing with um, and I've listened, I've watched documentaries where his son talks about him mm-hmm. sort of um, his mental health deteriorating and what it was like to witness that. So Blue sort of represents a, a man who whose past and his father, you know, had dealt with like his father was sort of a Thelonious monk. And he's recognizing the the mental tearing of himself as well. Mm. So I was looking at it. The, the play looks at not only gender violence, but mental health issues. And in 1949, nobody was dealing with mental health. Shoot, we barely do it now. Right. So we definitely weren't doing it then where we were looking at, like, our mental health and what it takes to be um, a genius in an era of violent racism. Right. You know, and how your genius can be squashed by, you know, the racist institutionalism around you. So, you know, even though you're you're magnificent and gigantic and the world treats you like you're insignificant, that can really do a number on your mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I also wonder, um, uh, for this play, writing about Black Bottom and the way that it changed um, in the, the late 1940s, which is way before... 
the other material that you use for for your plays, uh, I wonder how um, how different the process of writing that might have been uh, in terms of uh, just researching the history, yeah. thinking of a different era than you set your other stories. Yeah, well, you know, I so as a poet in Detroit, I grew up in um, the cafe mahogany era mm-hmm. of spoken word here, and that was right in the Harmony Park, which yeah. is like sort of a part of an extended part of like the Black Bottom Paradise Valley community. Sure, you know, and so because of that, being a poet in Harmony Park, I learned about. You know, I didn't know much about Black Bottom. I didn't know about Paradise Valley and our jazz contribution uh, prior to being a poet in that community. And poets would talk about it. In fact, there's a poet. His name is, uh, well, his poet name, because <laughs> uh, he's a pastor now, but his poet name <laughs> was Paradise. Okay. And he used to have this poem about Paradise Valley. Matter of fact, if Paradise, if you are listening, I would love for you to come to Detroit Public Theater and spit your poem before my show. Um, but he has this old poem uh, where he's talking about the history of the city and he talks about Paradise Valley. And I think it was, I want to say that I was introduced to Paradise Valley through his poetry. Um, But then I, you know, started reading books and reading people's stories about Paradise Valley. There's a book, there's a very good uh, old sort of picture book um, by residents that have contributed to this like anthology where there's all their old pictures, there's all these clubs and things like that that used to be in that area. And I read those books and was like, wow, oh, I could see this. Oh, this is my grandparents' era. Like I just want, so the research was a little different because it kind of came from the, other creative artists. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, my guest is Dominique Mauricio. She is a MacArthur Genius Award-winning playwright uh, whose work, Paradise Blue, is the featured play at the opening of the Public Theater's 2019-2020 season, which begins tonight. Uh, we're talking about her work. Uh, we're talking uh, a little later. We're going to talk a little more about the Public Theater, what that is here in Detroit, and how it has changed uh, arts in uh, Detroit has really transformed uh, the performing culture here uh, in the city. Uh, if you're a fan of Dominique, if you're a fan of the public theater, we'd love to hear from you as well. You want to join the conversation here, talk about her plays, talk about her work, and maybe how it speaks to you. Uh, as always, the number on the phone is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Dominique, the last time you were here, I th- I'm pretty sure it was right before another play of yours, Ain't Too Proud, was mm-hmm. going to open in New York. That's right. Um, uh, tell us how that went, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's a very different play than than the other work that that, that you've done. Yeah. But it was the, f- uh, if I'm correct, it's the first. Uh, play you had that open on Broadway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was my Broadway premiere. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's also my first musical. It's a musical uh-huh. about the life and times of the Temptations, the Detroit-bred Temptations. And, um, you know, it's funny because it's it's a different headspace to, to write a musical than it is to write a play, but sure. not so much for me because I, my plays are all very music-infused. Mm-hmm. Like, ergo, Paradise Valley is, has a live jazz musicianship, you know. <laughs> Um, and so that uh, I love working on Ain't Too Proud for all of the reasons why you would love telling the story of the Temptations. Um, <laughs> but it was also to be able to get a, a representation of Detroit on Broadway, on the Great White Way, as they call it. Sure. Um, and to bring very, very, you know, 
uh, black influence Detroit <laughs> to the great white way is exciting. And I feel like um, the play is still going. It is The musical is still up. People can still go see it. We're sold out technically through the end of the year, but you can still get tickets. You can find um, tickets online if you go to aintoproudmusical.com. Hmm. Um, if they're sold out there, you can kind of go to other sites to look for, like, discounted tickets. But uh, what, what is ex- most exciting is that, you know, we were nominated for 12 Tonys. We won the Tony for choreography, which is apropos because yeah. it's a temptation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. What else could you Well, I mean, or? if we didn't win that one, I was going to throw my shoe at the stage. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and we, we've been – you know, it's 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 been a really doing really well mm. on Broadway, as especially for all the new shows that came in at the same time as us. We are the one that is lasting, so we'll continue to last if you come see us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I wonder if the reaction to that story is different than the reactions you get to, for instance, the Detroit Cycle plays that uh, you've written. Uh, well, it's just you know, Broadway just gives you a bigger audience. Sure. That's what the value of it is for someone like me who's a writer. You know, it's just being able to get people who were not familiar with me more familiar with me. And then they can start digging in the crates and going back and finding some of my other work. So that's been exciting. I think that it's different in that it also, you know, while it's it's a Broadway musical, it it still has the the elements of my place because that's you when you get me you get me i'm not changing you know so we're gonna it's not just gonna be a bunch of singing and dancing and you know and jazz hands you know we're, we're actually the, the story gets real and it gets kind of heavy sometimes and it, there's gonna be a lot of gravitas you're gonna have your joy and your laughter and you're gonna have you know you're gonna know what these men went through you're gonna have your pain and your you know, and the hardship and um, and the politics around putting up that music at that time, mm-hmm. right? Um, so all of those things, I think, make it close to how I've been writing my plays. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a different visibility with Broadway, and I think that around the the nation, people are producing my work. So at least if you're in the plays, or if you're in theater, or even if now in the television world, people know who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, every Detroit show that's in development right now, I've been called to work on. Um, they're not all from me, but <laughs> but I do like that I'm being thought of when people are telling Detroit stories because yeah. they know they need a Detroiter in the room. And I'm I'm a writer who has made it known that I do write about my city. Yeah. So I know some things. Hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Don't do it without someone from Detroit. Don't there. do it without someone from Detroit, but they will. They will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you also ha- have been uh, or had been uh, writing for the television show Shameless, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite uh, stories. Uh, yeah, it's a great show. Um, it's it's an amazing show and, and taken from uh, a British show of, mm-hmm. of the same name and, and pretty much the same story. I really... I'm curious what that was like. You know, Shameless is an amazing show just because of the boundaries that it pushes and the way that it, for me personally, changed, shifted my writing. Like it just, it, it opened up a different muscle because frankly, I did not know John Wells is the showrunner of that mm-hmm. show. He also ran, I mean, he's like a, a legend in Hollywood and he's ran ER mm-hmm. and, you know, West Wing, all those were his shows, you know. Um, but Shameless is his baby in a way, you know, and he's really protective over the show, but I, 
what I learned. I did not know what he read of mine hmm. to make him think I could write for that show. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in that room like, I mean, these people must be on drugs when they're writing, and I don't know how they're going to respond when I tell them I don't do acid, you know? And uh, But, no, they're just, they just naturally think in a different way than I do, so it sort of opened my mind up to another way of thinking. You know, and I, I will always value it for that. And I always, I really love the writers in that room. Very different. I'm the only person of color. Is that right? Uh huh. And that was hard. Um, just in because you're negotiating satire. That's really tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you you're the only person of color. See, because I, satire is like one of those things where everybody gets it. Everybody's community gets it. You know, they all get. They all take some hits. Right. And I'm like, well, hold up. I'm the only person in this room that represents this community. Right. I don't know how we're going to give this community all these hits. I'm going to have to get yours some back. And, you know, it becomes that negotiation. Yeah. But in the age of Trump, satire is more tricky. And that's why you're seeing all these comedians kind of come up and under fire because it's actually not as funny. I didn't, As much as I like writing for the show and, the, and the being kind of balls out and t- saying whatever truth I felt, because they did let me say my truth, you know, too. But in the age of Trump, it's just um, it's a different it's a different thing. The stuff doesn't feel as funny anymore. It feels mm-hmm. a little more um, dangerous and uneven. And I I'm not really one that likes to hit the vulnerable. You know, yeah. the vulnerable can't take it the same way that the ones in power can. So my I'd rather the attack go toward the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like that experience changed you as a writer? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, like I said, it's, I, will, I will never, there's, it's like once you go shameless, you never go back. <laughs> so like Literally. I mean, that, yeah. watching the show, you know, it's a show I found after it had been on uh, television for a couple of seasons. And mm-hmm. so I had to kind of go back to the beginning. But but it does push boundaries, at, mm-hmm. you know, and as a viewer, you have to be prepared to go to spaces that uh, you might not feel entirely comfortable doing yeah you know it's sort of like it's in the it's in the tradition of like earlier shows like um all in the family like archie bunker right mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. in what i've what i remember hearing about the creation of that show is that you know it was one of those shows that walk a line because obviously there's you're, you're mocking archie bunker's racism right mm-hmm. like a shameless mocks racism but but it also archie bunker also spoke to the people that are racist right like because they didn't necessarily know they were being mocked so then they felt like that they was it was speaking to them. So sort of sure. walked that line, and mm-hmm. Shameless did too. And I just didn't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to walk that line. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to be on that line. I think yeah. I want to be very definitively on a side of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's it. That's up, but it is in that tradition of like it gets tricky because you don't know what you don't know exactly where people are going to fall with this. And it, it, I do like the openness of the idea that everybody could think it's for them. We'll take it. If you think it's for you, we'll take that, you know. But sometimes, I don't know, if I want to be definitively, no, this is not. If you think like this, this is not for you. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's Well, I mean, at, at bottom, the, the, the show is, uh, I, I've said before, that the message of the show is your family loves you. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah, right? definitely. They might do crazy things to you. They might do violent things to you. They might betray you in ways you you have not fathomed. But- at the end of the day, that's what you have. Or oh, that's their version of love. That's right. And that may not be the version of love you need, but it's it's complicated, right? It doesn't mean that there's no, no love there, but somebody's only going to love you as good as they can love themselves. It's also, it's, I mean, the main character, Bill Macy's character, William H. Macy, for mm-hmm. those, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, a, is a very uh, narcissistic sure. character. And it's sort of looking at, like, how that narcissism plays out in, like, 
not being available to your family in the ways that they need you, but really needing them to, but really needing them to feel like you're a great father, That's even though right. you're not doing anything to really get that title. <laughs> Nothing. Um, <laughs> so it's like, and that's that's kind of true for so many families, and I think that that's why it transcends. It's yeah. it's like it shows poverty. It, it sort of satirizes our hatred of the poor, and I that's where I could get into that show very much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation, and we're going to bring in Courtney Burkett, who is the Detroit Public Theater co-founder and artistic director. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dominique Moriso, a MacArthur Genius Award winning playwright whose play Paradise Blue is going to kick off the 2019 2020 season at the Detroit Public Theater tonight. Uh, we're also now joined by Cor- Courtney Burkett, who is the Detroit Public Theater co-founder and artistic director. Courtney, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, this season opens with Paradise Blue, or yeah, Paradise Blue. Uh, why did this seem like the right play to start this season? Well, we uh, this is the fourth play of Dominique's that we have had the privilege of producing. Um, Dominique has been on the board um, of Detroit Public Theater since our founding and has been our partner in building this this theater and this community um, together. And so we are just so thrilled to be able to present the third play um, that we are presenting in her Detroit cycle. We also produced uh, her play Pipeline last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a privilege to be able to bring this um voice of Detroit. Dominique tells these Detroit stories with such a beautiful, vibrant voice and to be able to bring her stories home to her city and share them with the people um, who have often lived experiences that are um, parallel to the the characters in the plays um, or certainly are connected to the stories. So these stories that connect so deeply to our community that resonate all over the country, they're being produced everywhere, Um, but to be able to produce them in Detroit to the people who whose lives and whose ancestors are represented in the plays is a real privilege. So it is it is there's never a question. Do and we want is, to do dumps? And this is kind of the the core of your work at the the public theater, right? Yeah, we've been really really lucky to have this. Um, relationship. You know, when we started talking about what we wanted to do and founding the theater, Dominique was one of the first people we sat down with, and she has been on board and building it with us in the in the trenches from mm-hmm. the very, very beginning. Um, and we've had a lot of success and been very lucky, and and it's because of uh, because of these partnerships and and because of the work that Dominique's put in with us um, building something for Detroit. And you've also had another play, uh, Birthday Candles, which was recently picked up by Broadway and is going to star Deborah Messing. I mean, that is. Mm-hmm. Like an incredible, yeah. incredible uh, development. Yeah, we guys. commissioned Noah Heidel to write Birthday Candles in our third season. Uh, and we Noah's produced... also from Detroit. Yes, yeah, Grand Rapids actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a Michigan native and very. He was living in Detroit when he wrote the play. Uh-huh. He's also on our board of directors and is um, is you know very invested in what we're doing. So he wrote a play for us. He told us we were going to win theater, and we produced it and in, in our third season and and then now in our fifth season it will open on Broadway with the Roundabout Theater Company and Deborah Messing um, in the lead role. So uh-huh. we're we're just thrilled. Yeah, no, that's really great. Um, uh, tell us about the other plays that are coming up uh, in this 
this season of uh, Detroit Public Theater. Great. So the second play in the season is a, um, a one-man show called Temple of Lungs and Air that is about um, a, a young man who is really um, invested in hip-hop and language and artistry, and it's kind of about his journey um, through um, culture. Um, he is actually, he's a white person who was raised by a black man and um, really identifies with the black community, but is um, presented in a white body. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of his, um, his struggle with his identity and his love for language and his love for hip hop. And it's really cool. Um, it's a great show. Then we're doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which I'm thrilled about. I get the privilege of directing it. We're going to do it at Ant Hall in Hamtramck. We're going to mm. take it out of the DSO for the first time. Um, we produce most of our shows. Uh, we've produced all of our shows um, in Alice Hall at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. This one we're going to do at Ant Hall in Hamtramck because we think it's the right space for the show. Mm-hmm. So we're doing it because it's more site-specific. Most people, a lot of people know the story of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And um, it's, you know, it's an older musical. Um, it is, um, it's, an, it's exciting to look at it now. Um, it's about the transgender community. Um, it's about one person. Um, and it's, um, so we're excited to bring that story to Detroit. Um, and then we will... Uh, and then we will um, do Cost of Living, the um, Pulitzer Prize winning play, the play that won the Pulitzer Prize last season. Yeah. Um, that's how we will close our season yeah. uh, last year, um, Cost of Living. And that's a, a really beautiful play that is about the cost of living and right. what our bodies, how our bodies betray us and caretakers and, and what it means to, to be human. Yeah. And that's by Martina Mayock, who is one of my favorite new playwrights. Is that right? Yeah, she and I were both uh, p- playwright of New York fellows in different years, and I got to know her and her work. And I remember when I first wrote Skeleton Crew, uh, she first wrote her play Ironbound, and though that play went wild, and I remember when we were reading each other's plays, like this half is writing what I'm writing, you know, because we were both writing these like strong working class women, right. you know, um, hers an immigrant woman, mine a black woman, but we were kind of looking at each other like, wow, we write the same kind of tough women characters, yeah. you know, and I just am really attracted to her stories in general. She's been kicking butt out here in theater, so I'm excited that they're doing Martina's work. Yeah. Everybody should check it out. So, Dominique, do you feel like uh, there is? M- more or better opportunity now for people uh, who have traditionally been locked out of, you know, access to to, to having their plays staged. Uh, you know, anyone can write a play. Is the yeah. question is, can yeah. you get it into a theater? Uh, yeah. You're talking about other people who sort of are your contemporaries. Is that world opening up in a way that it wasn't before? You know, it is. It's starting to, definitely. Um, my What's happening in New York, you know, they have one of the most um, s- the most amount of young African-American playwrights mm. uh, produced last year in, their, in uh, the New York theater off-Broadway season. Um, that has been sort of, that was a precedent that everybody was very excited about. You know, there, it, there need to be more Latinx writers getting produced, more Native American writers being produced, Asian American writers, you know. But that there's been slow inching in that area. You know, here in Detroit and specifically, I'd like to see and help um, facilitate, you know, young new playwrights mm-hmm. or early career playwrights, which doesn't necessarily mean young you know, young in mentality, but not necessarily in years lived. Right, right. And I think that uh, I would like to, to see those writers get to be fostered, uh, develop their work, learn the process of developing a play, um, not just write something down and get it produced right away, because I don't, I don't find that 
that's what's sort of happening in New York in a way that I don't like. I want to see these writers get exposed. I just don't want to see them um, be thrown out like dice, you know, like they're a crap game. Mm. And, like, if they score good, but if they crap out, we're done with them. I'd rather see them get holistically developed as writers and, like, invest in them over time, you know, and really help them to have, like, staying power. To grow. And, yeah. mm-hmm, and to grow. Um, so I'd love to see that happen here in the city. Yeah. Uh, Courtney, uh, before we have to end, tell people where they can go to learn more about tickets and other upcoming shows for Detroit um, Public Theater. Great. The best place to get information about all of the Detroit Public Theater shows is at our website, www.detroitpublictheater.org. Please come see us. We will be running all the way through November 3rd. We'll be running Paradise Blue. So there's uh, lots of opportunities to come catch this production, um, and you don't want to miss it. Yeah. Uh, I remember when you were talking to me about uh, this idea that you had and and were were, uh, Mm -hmm. starting it out. Did you ever think it would get to this point so quickly? Nope. Yeah. No, it has surpassed all expectations, and I um and just feel so lucky to be able to be doing this work in this place. I um I'm a Detroiter first and a theater artist second, and um, to be able to have both in this place and to share this craft with this community and to provide opportunities um for to to introduce people to artists like Dominique yeah. and um, have the, have this community in conversation with Dominique and with the other artists that we get to present is a real privilege. So we're very lucky. Okay, Dominique Moriso and Courtney Burkett, thanks both of you for being here. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you. You too. All right, up next, we're going to hear from University of Michigan constitutional law expert Richard Primus about how serious he thinks the accusations are against President Donald Trump and how the impeachment process will likely play out. Stay with us on Detroit Today. (laughs) 